We are winding up our series called Relation Slips this morning, and uh, we'll be launching ahead with uh, a new series next week. But during the last four weeks, we've talked about our family relationships. Uh, we began with parenting and the many multiple challenges of being parents. I, I like how one mother put it. She says, well, of course I'm a good parent. They're all still alive, aren't they? <laughs> Parents, remember, your kids are watching, emulating, walking in your steps. So do your best to set a godly example for them. Point them to Jesus and you'll be good parents. Then we talked about the challenge of marriage and getting along with another person who sometimes thinks or acts differently than we do. The key to a good marriage is selfless commitment. Too many marriages begin with a uh, you'll do as opposed to a strong I do. Actor Clint Eastwood wrote, they say marriages are made in heaven, but so is thunder and lightning. So be committed to your spouse. Do your best to make your marriage a bit of heaven right here on earth. We also talked about being alone. Being single has its blessings and its opportunity to serve in the church as the Apostle Paul so eloquently pointed out. All of us came into this world alone. All of us will leave this world alone even if we're surrounded by our families when we draw our last breath. And as we age and feel more alone in this world, we start longing for our home and what God has in store for us as individuals. Speaking of leaving this world, did you, did you hear about or read this obituary that appeared in the Richmond, Virginia Times-Dispatch? It, it is the, uh, it's the obituary uh, of, this, of this lady right here, Mary Ann Nolan. This is the way her obituary begins. You ready for this? <laughs> Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary, Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday, May 15, 2016. <laughs> Is that great or what? And of course, last Sunday, Dr. John Trent did a great job about talking about strong families and the variety of personalities that make up a household. So, whether you are a, an, a lion, an otter, a golden retriever, or a beaver, each of us has a responsibility of being a blessing and blessing others in the family. And that's where most family series end. But they shouldn't. There's one more aspect of family that we dare not overlook, and that's the fact that we're a part of God's family. This family this morning, who we are in him. Now, for some, this would be considered expanded family. You have natural family that you're close to, and so the family of God is extended or expanded family. But you need to remember that for some, this is their family. It may be because their blood relatives live too far away. Or maybe most of their blood relatives are gone. Or maybe their blood relatives are estranged from them and we are all they have. So how is the church like family? Well, I wanna take a look at some pictures that are painted for us in scripture about this group, this family of God. And here's the first one. Picture number one is adoption. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 and following, the apostle Paul writes this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great 
pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Now, according to the Greco-Roman laws of this day and time, when Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, a well-to-do but childless adult who wanted an heir would adopt a child, preferably a male, and somebody probably a lot older. They didn't usually adopt infants like we seek to do today. What I really find interesting is that it was often a trusted slave or a servant in the household, somebody that began as a nothing and then suddenly becomes the heir to the entire estate. Adoptions most often took place at the time that a will was being written up for the person's estate, and they would choose somebody if they had no natural-born heirs so that their heritage would live on long after them. Something else that's interesting under Greco-Roman law, and that is if you adopted somebody, you could never change your mind and back out on the deal. It was irrevocable. I think what a beautiful picture of the church. You know, some of our families here, given the challenge uh, earlier in the year of when we went through the book, When Helping Hurts, and we did the On Target series, that what these people took to heart, many of the things that we spoke about, they've opened their hearts and their homes to become adoptive parents or foster families. And I think that is terrific. Others in our congregation have raised children that were not their own through the years. They adopted children, sometimes one, sometimes more, into their family and loved them with the same intensity as if they had been born naturally to them. And some in our church family here take international students or other college students and adopt them during the time that they're here to give them a home away from home so they don't feel just so cut off from family life in this community. I've always been so impressed with such gifts from the hearts of other people. And yes, you can tell me stories about where the dream didn't turn out like it was supposed to. You can point out to me stories where somebody was adopted and, and the family and the child just never seem to match up. But in most cases, in most cases, an adopted child or a foster child goes from a struggling, hopeless start in life to a wealth of love and opportunity, to a new family, to a new home with a new hope. And this is such a great picture of the church. We are not all blood relatives here this morning. But we are all family through the blood of Jesus Christ. When you're in a family by natural birth, you are stuck with your relatives. No choice in the matter. And every one of us in this room this morning has a blood relative. We'd just as soon not be in the family. If we could, we would unfriend them. But we cannot. By the way, if you can't think of anyone in your family like that, you're the one. <laughs> Just be aware, you're the one. But in an adoptive family, you were chosen. <clears throat> what a beautiful picture of this family, the church. Adopted by God, chosen by God to be his family. And the picture gets even better, folks. We started out as slaves to sin, and yet God saw something in us, something worth redeeming. And he wanted to adopt us into his family that we might be the recipients of his eternal inheritance and carry on his heritage 
established in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great thought? Chosen. Anyone who acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Savior, who, like the young man in our video, has been baptized into Christ, is chosen by the Heavenly Father to be a part of his spiritual family. And, and we even get a new spiritual name, spiritual family name. The name is Christian, which means belonging to Christ. The I-A-N means belonging to Christ. That's the name we hold in common. Now, here's another interesting thought as it pertains to family this morning. We have, been, we have chosen specifically to be participants in this local segment of the body of Christ. You chose, I chose to be a part of this congregation. And we've adopted one another as our spiritual family here or on the west side or in Bedford. We're all the same family together. Now, is there somebody here that you'd just as soon not be in the family? I can't answer for you, but I can answer for myself, and I can tell you that I can't think of anyone in this family who isn't valuable to this body of believers. You matter greatly to my Heavenly Father, therefore, you must matter greatly to me. That's how family works. Well, that's how family's supposed to work. And I think the church, when it is doing its best, operates best like that. And that brings us to the second picture, which is vitally important, and that is the picture of harmony. We are his family, but we need to behave harmoniously. In 1825, wealthy social reformer Robert Owen bought a southern Indiana town and renamed it New Harmony. Maybe you've been there for a visit. There he was going to implement his vision to create a new moral world of happiness, enlightenment, and prosperity through education, science, technology, and communal living. Well, Owen's utopian community never really took hold. only lasted a handful of years because, you see, harmony, harmony just cannot be mandated. Social equality cannot be mandated. Human nature rebels at equality that isn't equal. And it's not to be found in merely a greater knowledge or scientific discovery coming into our lives. Harmony will not survive in communal living. Harmony is fragile. It's fragile in family life, but it is best discovered in emulating the life of Jesus Christ. It's not about treating others equally. It's about treating others as more deserving than myself. It's elevating others. Harmony is found in leading by serving, not in being served. It is found in being willing to be last instead of willing to be first. It is found when everyone commits to following God's principles for life. See, here's, here's the thing. Harmony is only possible if we all seek to emulate the same great leader, Jesus Christ. It's putting ourselves behind the needs of others. It's not, it's not mandated, it is willing. And when that happens, there can be harmony in the body of Christ, in the family of Christ. We have this beautiful picture of the early church living just exactly like that in Acts chapter two. I'm gonna begin in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone 
was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Their first commitment, did you notice their first commitment was to the spiritual matters, to the word of God, to the fellowship of one another, to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And then secondly, it says they worshiped together, they shared what they had together, they met in one another's homes together, they spent time encouraging one another with glad and sincere attitudes. And then thirdly, it seemed that they reached out into their community beyond the family barriers of the church because it says they had found favor or approval with everyone. So they were making an impact, a positive impact in their community. That's a great pattern. Do you get the pattern? God first, family second, and then the community. Harmony is only possible when we get our priorities in the proper order. I like how Kenneth Boa put it. He says, our calling and our purpose as followers of Christ is to love God completely, to love self correctly, and to love others compassionately. When you keep it in that order, harmony is possible. If not, if we all take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on ourselves, harmony goes right out the window. In a study presented to the American Psychological Association, 11 major symphony orchestras were researched to see how various musicians perceived each other. You got the picture? We had a great orchestra up here this morning. So they were interviewed privately about how they saw one another in the orchestra. The percussionists were viewed as insensitive, unintelligent, and hard of hearing, but fun-loving. <laughs> String players were seen as a bit arrogant, stuffy, and non-athletic. The orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary adjective to describe the brass players. Woodwind players seemed to be held in the highest esteem, described as quiet and meticulous, though a bit egotistical. Now one has to wonder with such divergent personalities and such divergent views of one another in an orchestra, how do they ever come together to make such beautiful music? Well, the answer is simple. Regardless of how these musicians view each other, they subordinate their feelings and their biases to the leadership of the conductor. Under the conductor's guidance, they play beautiful music. Now hear me carefully. The church can only become a harmonious unit and family when it is fully surrendered to the divine conductor who orchestrates our lives and service in his family. If you take your eyes off him, harmony is not possible. There's, there's also this matter of belonging. Rick Warren wrote, he said, many people think that Christianity is a belief system, but it is a belong system. Now, it is important what we believe, that we stand on the Word of God and we stand on that alone. But, it, but there's also the sense of belonging that is vital if we're going to behave like the family of God. And I believe that belonging to a family like this is vital to our spiritual health. And can I also say this too? Your being a part of this family is vital to the survival of this family as well. I am granted a certain standing when I return to my hometown because I'm a native of that area. Even though I've not lived there for 
several years. I still sort of belong because I share a common heritage with the folks in that area. My great-great-grandparents immigrated from Germany, settled there, and died there. My great-grandmother lived and died there. My grandparents lived and died there. My folks still live there. I am a fifth-generation native of Huntingburg, Indiana. Consequently, I am viewed differently than the person who moves in from out of state with no connection to that town who will be viewed for years to come as the new guy who came to town. The same can be said of the church. When you belong, you are granted a certain standing because you are a child of the Heavenly Father. You are also viewed as a native, not as an outsider. And there's a common spiritual heritage that you share with others in the family of faith. Now, if you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm a part of the global church, the broad family of God. I really don't need a local family. I beg to differ with you. That's not the complete picture that God is seeking for in your life. Again, Rick Warren wrote, except for a few important exceptions referring to all the believers throughout history, almost every time the word church is used in the Bible, it refers to a local, visible congregation. So let me put it to you this way. The family here needs you, and you need the family here for all of us to be complete. Which brings us to the third picture, that of encouraging. God did not create you or me or design the Christian life to be accomplished as a solo act. You and I are in a lifelong struggle with the power of sin in this world and being out of harmony with God. To suggest that you can be victorious spiritually by yourself, that you don't need any of the rest of us, that you don't need the church, that you can handle things just fine on your own, I think is to be naive. God's plan from the very beginning included this body that we call the church, God's family. And while God saves us individually, he doesn't leave us alone in this world. The first thing that happens to you when you become a Christian is that God provides an inner companion and gives you the Holy Spirit to live in your life and soul. The second thing that happens is that he provides you with an outer companion, and that is the church, the family of God. And the church, as the family, is to come alongside of each of us and be an encourager. Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The church needs to be a place where people can come for encouragement. In the New Testament, the word encouragement or its derivatives is found 109 times. The Greek word is parakaleo, and it means to come alongside of somebody and help them or give them aid. Biblical encouragement is not a mere compliment. Oh, you look really nice today. Well, that's a nice thing to say, but that's not biblical encouragement. Biblical encouragement is when you come alongside somebody else and say, are you having a hard time? How can I help? What difference can I make? Let me help hold on to you. Let me walk with you. Let me work with you. The, the, the whole concept of encouragement is how can we improve one another in the body of Christ? It refers to our responsibility to nurture fellow believers. That's why I love the church, because this is supposed to be a place of encouragement. That's why I love our life groups. It's because it's even a smaller segment of the church where you can be encouraged. That's also why I love the one another's of Scripture. 
Have you gone through the New Testament lately and just looked at the one another's that are there? Uh, we've already talked about encourage one another in this Hebrews passage. We talked about harmony as live in harmony with one another as we find in Romans chapter 12. But let me give you some of the other one another's in the New Testament. Here we go. Love one another deeply from the heart. That one appears 10 times. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Don't pass judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Serve one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Forgive to one another. Admonish one another. Don't hate one another. Spur one another on to good deeds. Be humble to one another. And my favorite, bear with one another. Bear with one another's weakness. Bear with one another's difficult personalities. Bear with the tough times that come along. Bear with one another. Well, it worked for John Trent last week. I thought maybe it would work better for me this week. Just trying to get a little bit of life here, all right? If you need to huddle up in groups of three and talk about this problem while you... you... I thought he did a great job last week. And you all did a great job too uh, in, in, in that whole session. So how is it that we encourage one another this morning? Well, you need to get creative about your encouragement. So can I give you some practical ideas this morning that maybe you've thought of and didn't act on or maybe you've just never thought of before? Here we go. Get out of your weekly comfort zone, that being your pew right here, all right, and look for somebody new to meet. I don't mean new to the church. I mean new to you. Now, how many of you N never, never get beyond the seat that you always sit in every week. Uh, I mean, do you people over here know that there's anybody over here? I mean, have you ever crossed all the way to the other side to shake a hand? Have you done the same over here? I mean, and, and how about the people in your pew? Do you every Sunday morning just say, hi there, nice to see you back? Do you even know their names? I mean, the people sit in the same pew with you. Do you know, how, when's the last time you learned a new name here? Try learning a new name. Try to meet somebody new every week. Okay, this is your assignment. Even today, introduce yourself to somebody you don't recognize. Will you do that before you leave the building? Okay? Take notice when somebody isn't here and find out if there is a need. You know, we have more than 5,000 people that pass through these doors in a six-week period of time. And there's no way that a small handful uh, can keep their eyes on everybody and know when somebody's gone. So if you know somebody and they're not here, call them up and say, hey, I missed you Sunday. Everything okay? Are you doing well? Can I tell you that that will just be a huge encouragement? Maybe they were gone to visit grandparents. Maybe they were gone to visit grandkids. I don't care what it is. But when you ask them, everything okay? I missed you. That, that's a great theme of encouragement. Share a kind word or a kind note with someone who isn't from your generation. Older folks in the congregation, find somebody who's from a younger generation and write them a note or surprise them and text them, all right, a word of encouragement, okay? 
And young people, you find somebody from an older generation and you write them a note or give them a kind word or a pat on the back and say thank you for what they've done to make sure that the church is healthy for your generation to grow up. You see, when we cross those generational lines with encouragement, it makes a difference because the family is cross-generational. And if you've been here for 100 years, it would be nice not to park in our first-time guest spots, all right? So that's another thing you can do if you want to be an encourager. And remember, this is not our immediate, this is our immediate family, but we have family outside these walls who need encouragement as well. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this golden opportunity, this window of opportunity that we have with the Christians in Kurdistan who are confined to refugee camps during this horrendous time uh, in that part of the world. I am, I'm so thrilled that through an IU student who was hooked up with Brad and Gail Pontius and then hooked up with this congregation, that this relationship has made possible, this open window with the government so that we can help those Christians, our extended family in Kurdistan. Here, just take a look at this updated video, all right, about what's going on. As the Kurdish militia and allied troops battle ISIS to liberate Mosul, our Christian brothers and sisters have renewed hope that someday they may return to their homes and properties. It could be years until they enjoy the peace and security of their homes again, but hopefully our gifts will provide a sense of support and solidarity with them. The good news is that we've raised $19,000 of our $30,000 goal in addition to our friends at AIDS Relief Services who sent $20,000 to the project. The Poorhouse Cafe also anticipates raising $6,000 in tips. And my mom asked me to send her 20 flyers so she can give special Christmas donations for each one of her grandkids. Not a bad idea. I hope you and your family will give to this worthy cause so we will far exceed our goal and bless many. For our extended family in Kurdistan, we can do it. This isn't just somebody. This is our family. They wear the same surname that we do, Christian, belonging to Christ. They're a part of our suffering family around the world, and we have this window of opportunity. That 19,000, when, when we made the video earlier this week, has now grown to 25,000, which does not count the 20,000 from Ides, does not count the 6,000 that the poorhouse may contribute. I think maybe we set our goal at 30,000 a little low. What do you think? I think this is a golden opportunity for this congregation to lead the way, to make a difference and say, we want to be an encouragement to the family who's hurting our family. This fall is our season of caring. Uh, it's an expansion on the CareFest idea. It's not limited to one day. It's not limited to one or two projects. And so it, I encourage you, sign up for that because you see what, when you do that, it has one more impact. And that is that we have a responsibility, I believe, to encourage those who are outside of these walls and who are also outside of the family. Because after all, folks, the reason we're here is to help as many people find Jesus Christ who can add them to the father's family as well. Remember, Tim quoted that passage, only one name given among men whereby you must be saved, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, would the non-believers around you describe you as encouraging? Are you a positive or a negative in their search and quest for spiritual meaning? And did you notice that when we read through that passage in Acts that the early Christians were doing this, everything we've talked about, 
on a daily basis. They were everyday encouragers. I like what author Joel Smith wrote. He said, snowflakes are frail, but if enough of them get together, they can stop traffic. (laughs) You have gifts, talents, abilities that are important to this family. This family has gifts, talents, and abilities that are important to you that will help you. You get enough of us together under the orchestrated leadership of Jesus Christ, and we can change the world. So I'll say it again. The family here needs you, and you need the family here so that the family of God can be complete.